Today we're going to be talking about freedom from the fear of not having money. Now that is, the fear of not having money is a fear that is basically in most people I've met. I mean, I've struggled with that fear for many years in my life. But Jesus has set me free. God has set me free. And I want to share with you uh, about this and what has set me free. Now, the first thing that I want to say is that there is no amount of money that can ever take away that fear. There's no amount of money that can ever take away the fear of not having money. Uh, a person that struggles with the fear of not having money when he's poor is just as afraid, even more afraid, once he has money, of losing everything. There's a fear uh, that cannot be set free by, it is a fear that cannot be set free by the things of this world. Um, if money could set you free from the fear of money, you wouldn't have needed Jesus' death so that you can have freedom. So the key for freedom uh, when it comes to fear of not having money is all in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this death. We're going to look at the resurrection uh, of Jesus. And we're going to apply that to finances. Now I want to start off by reading a very well-known scripture in the Bible as pertaining to fear. And you might say, well, I've, I know this verse, but we're going to look at this passage where we are set free from fear in the light of knowing we have eternal life, seeing God as our Father. Then we're going to look at Matthew and what Jesus says about, um, about finances and His provision for us. We're going to look at a word that is so feared in the church called contentment. But I'm going to link that word contentment to the resurrection and show you how the resurrection pertains to, um, to contentment. Um, and uh, we're gonna, I think we're going to stop there for today. And then next Sunday, we're going to continue to speak on, uh, on this matter. So, okay, let us start out with 1 John 4.15. It says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. Now, what he's saying here is, he starts off in verse 15, and he's saying that, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. Now, that is an amazing passage. And remember, 1 John is now four chapters later, uh, after uh, 1 John 1 where he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Now what he's saying here is, the key that sets us free from fear 
is acknowledging Jesus as the Son of God. Now, what does that mean? Uh, and what does it entail to say, Jesus is the Son of God? What it means is, it means that we are saying that the man that was born out of Mary, Jesus, that he is in human form today an immortal, equal with God, the very Son of God, equal with God as a physical human being. The Bible says he who believes that he, God dwells in him. God dwells or has found his dwelling place in the person that believes that. And he in God. So we're talking about a fellowship now between God and the human. So if you believe that the human being, Jesus, has conquered death and is risen from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God and he is the Son of God, equal with God, that the human, the physical, resurrected human Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you are actually saying that God made it possible for a human being to be equal with God. And he that believes that, God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Okay, what is the love that God has for us? God is love and he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. So what is the love of God? The love of God is actually to produce a son of God. If we read those two passages together, we are seeing in verse 15, he is saying, if you can acknowledge Jesus as the son of God, then God, you dwell in God and God dwells in you. And then it says here, and uh, that we have known and believed the love that God has for us. What is the love that God has for us? The love that God has for us was to provide an immortal human in the Godhead. That is the love that God has for us. Now he who dwells in love, in other words, he who acknowledges the resurrected Jesus, he who believes in the, uh, the bodily resurrected, resurrection of Christ, knowing that that involves you, or includes you would be the better word, that it includes you, it says here that we have known and believed the love of, that God has for us. And we have known, we've got experiential knowledge that God loves us in raising Jesus from the dead and our mind is at rest at the fact that He is risen from the dead. Then it says, God is love and He that dwells in love dwells in God and God in Him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. How is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. So what He's saying here is that if you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the context that John has in mind here is if you can believe that the man, Jesus, has conquered physical death, you are believing that God and man has fellowship in equality. When you believe that, you automatically include yourself. And that, what that means is, is that as He is a Son of God, so are you now 
the Son of God. That is what he's saying. So if you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you are also saying, according to John, that you are a Son of God. If you can say that Jesus dwells and He's got the fullness of the Godhead bodily in Him, then you are also acknowledging that you have the fullness of the Godhead bodily in you. And He says here that... Um, we will have no fear, in, we will have boldness actually, in the day of judgment. Why? Because Jesus is a son that's got eternal life, and we are sons that has eternal life. And we shall be made or have the manifestation of sons in that day, because we are now already the sons of God. And what we are does not yet appear, but we know when He appears, we shall be like Him. Can you see that rest that there is in that? And now He goes on and He says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So what happens here is that John is saying that fear is actually an emotion that comes forth when you don't know that physical immortality is yours. That is what he is saying here. He says, in the day of judgment, in other words, when the judgment of God is fully manifested in the world, wherein God's judgment, whereby He has given assurance to all men in raising Jesus from the dead, comes to this earth, and we have our resurrected bodies, in that day, and what he's saying, we will have no fear. Why? Because we are now acknowledging the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we include ourselves because when you say that Jesus was raised, you're actually saying a human was raised and you are a human and the fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus, the man Jesus, bodily, and you are including that. That takes away all fear. So what takes away fear? The assurance that your body, I don't want to say your body, that you, you, the very temple of God, knows that you can live forever. When it comes to financial fear, the thing we have in our minds is all the time like this, and I've heard so many people say that, well, if, my, if I lose my job, how will I live? Can you see how the fear of death is in there? How will I live? How will I know for sure that I will live? It's like Colossians 2 says there, talking about the, the satisfying of the flesh. The flesh can never be satisfied by the law. The, the, the human, a human being, his body, can never... Uh, you know, it's difficult for me to even say your body, although it's, it's a language in the Bible, just because of this whole Gnostic thing. But we, as humans, cannot have peace in our hearts outside of knowing. Our flesh will never be satisfied. Our flesh will always try to fear and provide for itself through stress, by the sweat of the brow, and so forth, trying to preserve its own life if we cannot see ourselves as having the guarantee of bodily immortality. 
So I want to say to you that the key in being set free from financial fear or what will happen if I don't have money is all in knowing that you definitely have in this physical body eternal existence and life and that you can never as a human, once you've believed in Jesus, die. Even if you die, you, you will be raised. So you've got the assurance, and this is how I see it. Even if I, if I look in the mirror, I'll see I've got a gray beard and I get some wrinkles around my eyes and those kind of things. But what I feel and what gives me peace about what if I lose my life and I die, physically die. This, that fear of physical death is taken away. Why? Because of the assurance that I will live forever. Now, I hope you can see how the fear of what if I don't have money is just a very small thing compared to that of physical death. At the end of the day, the fear of not having money comes and was born in Adam. God said to Adam, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day you eat thereof you will surely die. And then he pronounced the curse that was on Adam, and he said to Adam, you will work the dust or toil the ground that you were taken from until you return unto it. And what Adam's mind was, I need to preserve my life. I am now part of, I'm working hard so that I can continue to live. That was what he was trying to do. He was trying to preserve his life forever by working the ground. I'm going to make life manifest in my life. But God said, I want to tell you, you will return to the dust that you were taken from. Now that gives you the knowledge that by your own works and by your financial gain, you can take nothing. I mean, it, it, it cannot profit you at all at the end of the day. It cannot. It cannot give you the peace of, um, a peace of mind. It cannot give it to you. And that is what the scripture is clear on. Now, with this in mind, where we are seeing that knowing God as Father or knowing that, um, that you are the Son of God. When you say you're the Son of God, you're actually saying God is my Father. When you see that and you can know that bodily you've got the assurance that you will be okay because of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you have that, your flesh supernaturally rests. This mind goes to rest. It doesn't calculate all the time where will it get money to live because in its deepest, the deepest part of it has found the assurance of eternal life. And once your deepest part of your heart has found the assurance and the safety of physical, of physical uh, immortality, your mind will let go of trying to preserve your own physical life and your rest. And that thing, that fear of, what if I don't have money, will fall off, will just disappear. That's how it works. I remember the day uh, contentment came to my mind and to my heart. 
It was a miracle. It was simply a miracle. It wasn't something you decide to do. It was a miracle that came on the revelation of God's love for me in Jesus' death and resurrection. That is where I got that. Where my mind, even when I had very little, um, like I said, if you have little or much, that cannot, uh, the determining factor as pertaining to fear in your heart is not how much money you have. It's about what you believe about your, uh, about immortality concerning your body. If we believe that just our spirits are going to heaven and those kind of things, it will give, our flesh will not be satisfied with that because the flesh wants to know, is it going to live forever? And if it's not going to live forever, the physical body, the physical body would continually, against your own will or against the, the, what the, the, Paul calls the inner man or the mind, will be against the inner man. And it will say, well, even if you say you are okay, I'm not okay. You are telling me, the body would say, well, you say you're a spirit and you're going to go off to heaven, but I live here and I need food. I need some assurance that I can live forever. And if you tell me I'm just going to die and I'm not going to have eternal life, your flesh will scream with what? With fear of dying. And that fear will be directed towards what the flesh thinks it needs in order to sustain itself, which is food and clothing and house and all those kind of things. And once you start to get that, it will give a weird twist on it wherein your identity will now start to, you will find your identity in all these things and that will just destroy your life. Now, let us go to uh, a passage in Matthew 6.25. Now, what I wanted to take away from this first 18 minutes is that you are a son of God. Son means God is your father. Okay? And the revelation, and that means God is your father or being a son of God, means you are assured of bodily immortality. Like Jesus, He is the Son of God. The love of God is that God gave His only begotten Son unto us. He presented the, the resurrected Jesus as the gift of righteousness unto us. And when we behold the resurrected Jesus, what happens? Our hearts are assured that we have eternal life. Then fear is taken away in perfect love. And when you become perfect in the love of God, when you start to understand what this love of God is all about and the resurrection, fear leaves you. Fear of the day of judgment, fear of death, fear of not having money. It just leaves you. As this revelation starts to settle in my heart, the plans I make in my life is not on how will I get money. What what is in my mind in the day, during the day, uh, most of the time is about loving my wife, my kids, and um, preaching the gospel. I would say my mind is most of the time about how can I more effectively share the gospel of Jesus Christ and enjoying the life of God. Now, I'm not saying I'm doing everything perfect, but as pertaining to the fear of not having money, it is as dead as what the fear of not having eternal life. 
the fear of staying in the grave and never be resurrected. There's no fear for me as pertaining to that because I've seen the resurrected Christ through the scriptures. I'm I've, I've got the assurance of the Holy Spirit in me. I've already seen the first fruit of the Spirit as I believe upon that. And that be became the, f it like captivated my thought and my mind. The fear of not having money died with it. Now, first point, let me not get off the point. The first point I want you to know is God is your father and you are his son. And father, son in Jewish history means equal with God. Assurance of eternal life. Now let's look at how Jesus dealt with people that had a fear of not having money. He says in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what you shall eat, what you will drink, nor of your body, what you will put on. Is not the life, now I put in brackets there, what makes life eternal, more than meat and the body, more than clothes. Behold the birds of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor do they gather into barns. And now the key here, yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto your stature? Can you see what Jesus is saying here? He's immediately saying, Who of you by taking thought can cause your physical body to grow? You cannot. You see what Jesus is saying here when it comes to finances? He says, listen, the true thing here is who, by worrying about your money, can actually prolong your own life or change the, the very makeup of your body. It is impossible. Who can add one cubit to your stature? And why do you take thought of clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall not much more clothe you, O you of little faith. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after these things the Gentiles seek, or those who don't have God as Father, Seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. So, um, and then it goes on, and, and another key here, but first seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, what is God saying here? What is Jesus saying? Jesus says, the problem you have, why you are so occupied with what will I eat, what will I drink, is because you are not seeing God as your Father. Don't you know your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things? goes in verse 26, says, Behold, the birds of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into bonds, yet your heavenly Father 
feeds them. Now, the concept of a father, of having God as father, was blasphemy in the time of the Jews because you make God equal to yourself. Now, what Jesus was saying is, I am the son of God and eternal life belongs to me. And Jesus has already made the calculation that that also means that these people have God as father and that eternal life also belongs to them. And now he comes and he basically says that they are also the sons of God. Now we know that Jesus still had to die, that Jesus had to be raised, and that the resurrected Jesus had to be presented to people so that what Jesus came to do could manifest in its true power. But Jesus was already seeing God's plan, calling God their father. Actually saying, why do you worry about clothes? Because you are presented with eternal life. And if you present it with eternal life, you by your thought cannot add one inch to your stature. It is impossible, humanly impossible, to sit and worry and by your worries add to your physical stature. And here he says, God is your father and what he adds to your physical stature is immortality and eternal life. So now, how can you be worried about what you will eat, what you will drink, all those kind of things, for God has taken care of you and your physicality to the point that he grants you immortality. That is what is in the back of Jesus' mind when he says these things, when he calls God Father. Amen. The only place where we can truly know God is our Father is if we behold the immortal God that shines like the sun, that lives in the unapproachable light, that no man can enter into by his own works, and we can see a physical human being shine with the same glory, and that includes us. Once your mind enters into that, all fear is taken away from you, including the fear of not having money. Okay, now, Jesus comes in verse 33 and he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, there's a difference between you working for things and by your hard labor and the sweat of your brow, through your works, you create that provision or wherein God empowers you, you do what you must do and these things are added unto you. Both work, but the one works to create it and to the one it's added. It's just added. But what he's saying is, seek first the kingdom of God. Now some say if you f first seek the kingdom of God, that is your tithing and your sowing and reaping. Rubbish. That is not what it means. You're not first seeking the kingdom of God by first giving to the church. doesn't matter how poor you are. And now when you give to the church, you are... Uh, you are now first seeking the advancement of the kingdom. And if you actually care for the kingdom, then the kingdom will care for you. No. What he is saying here, what Jesus is saying, let your heart be for God's kingdom. God's kingdom is the king, Jesus, who is king over sin and death, which now comes and is bringing forth the first fruit of 
eternal life to people on the earth. And then has promised the fullness of his kingdom, which is immortality in the resurrection. He says, seek those things. Seek those things. And his righteousness, meaning his equitable deed in his death and his resurrection. Have a desire wherein God adds to you. Have a desire where it's not by your works, where you are seeing the kingdom of God, which is the immortality of God manifesting in the earth through calling Jesus the Son of God, believing he is the Son of God. Have that and you will find that the Almighty God, by his power of his resurrection, provides for your body in this world. You have a job and you have this, you have that, and all those kind of things. That's it. And once that happens, you will not have your peace based on how much was manifested by God in your life. Now I want to read the definition of the word contentment. Now, contentment does not mean I'm satisfied with poverty. That's not what it means. It's got a different meaning in the Greek, and I'm going to share that with you. The word contentment can only find its true definition in the resurrection. Without understanding the resurrection, I want to tell you, you cannot understand contentment, because this is the definition of contentment in the Greek. It is to be possessed of unfailing strength. That is the Greek definition of contentment. It has also come from the word where the Bible talks about alleviating or lifting off sin and death. That's what it, what it talks about. The Bible talks about those that bear no fruit, he will lift them up. That lift means to, to take away sin. So he's saying here that God, contentment, is when you are possessed with unfailing strength in the midst of, doesn't matter what happened. Now what that can, that can only take place wherein you are saying, well, I surely know that I have eternal life. If you come to me and um, my car breaks down, you ask me, do, I, do you have eternal life? Are you sure Jesus rose from the dead and that you will be raised? I will tell you yes. And my mind is fully persuaded of that. Now that's with contentment. To, to be possessed of unfailing strength. Philippians 4.11 says, now, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state therewith to be content. So he was saying, he um, doesn't actually say therewith. He actually says, says this way, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. So what he's saying is that I have learned that in whatever state I am, right there, I can still say I am possessed of unfailing strength. What is unfailing strength? It talks about living and not dying. A partaker of the resurrection. That's the only place where you can have unfailing strength. We know in this world, in our own strength, you can become tired. <clears throat> we, you can work the whole day and become tired and you can feel your strength is failing you. But I am a possessor of unfailing strength in what? 
eternal life where I cannot become tired, where I cannot die in the fact that Jesus was physically raised from the dead. So Paul comes and he says that I don't speak in respect of want. My flesh is not wanting more stuff so that it can have the assurance that it will live for I have learned in whatever state I am to still have knowledge that eternal life is mine. It's actually come to say that we cannot take the signs that's in this time. We cannot take the things that happen to us in this world as the sign or the true message about the assurance of our eternal existence as humans in a glorified state. That is what I believe what causes this contentment. And I can understand now, when I was years ago in my life, studying the scriptures, starting to realize it's about the resurrection, knowing that um, I cannot be defined by the things of this world for I am defined by the resurrected Jesus, I found this contentment. And now years later, I've got understanding on what actually happened there and now I can teach it to you. And I'm so grateful today to teach this. For this is, this will set the church so free I tell you, the promise of financial prosperity by the death and the resurrection of Jesus is not, is not what's going to uh, satisfy you. Because if your flesh is still saying, well, unless I have great financial prosperity, I don't have the assurance that I can live forever. And now somebody teaches you biblical principles on how to get more money, the flesh will see that money, but the flesh will not be satisfied because it knows money can run out. The flesh will only be satisfied with the assurance that the flesh can live forever and never die and have a source that provides life to it, which is greater than itself, which is the Spirit of God. And once you see that, once you grab that, once you get a hold of that, you will find absolute freedom come to you. So when Paul comes and he says, I don't speak in respect of want, and the context here was that he was talking about how he had nothing. But he says, my flesh was not crying for having more. You see, the problem today is our flesh cries for more because of a lack of the understanding of the resurrection and the assurance of eternal salvation of our, us, our bodies. Therefore, our flesh supernaturally from the subconscious mind is crying for more. And we have got fear. We've got anxiety. We've got all these kind of things because we don't know if we will live forever. But as this resurrection thing becomes bodily and we see that, we find that in whatsoever state I am. Now, the, the there with there is, is italicized. I'm not content with my state. My state cannot bring me contentment. I am, and what Paul is saying here, I don't have any want because I am possessed of unfailing strength and the only way that is possible is by knowledge of the resurrection. Then I'm going to go to 1 Timothy 6 verse 6. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain for, so godliness, a godly life 
that is combined or as a result of unfailing strength, which I believe is the revelation of Jesus Christ, wherein I don't care what state I am, I'm sure I'm going to have eternal life. Amen. It says, um, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So in other words, a life that manifests from the power of the Holy Spirit, which where you are possessed of unfailing strength, where as pertaining to the things of this world, you know I cannot be defined, my flesh doesn't cry for them because my flesh has got the assurance of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He says that is great gain. Now you've really gained. Now I also want to say this, a person that is in that state, is much more likely, it's much more likely for him to be successful at business in true peace than a person that is stressing all the time because his body is crying. You will, you will not find a person, I mean a person that has got this kind of a, a life that we talk about here, godliness with contentment as I've just explained. Uh, in his business you'll find righteousness you will find that he's not trying to abuse his workers. You will find that when he works for a boss, because the amount of money cannot, uh, 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 his salary is not the voice that tells him he will live forever, he will do his job good. And he will, he will really have excellence there because it's not born from the revelation of Christians must have excellence or Christian uh, business owners must be good to their workers. It will be a life born from the reality that I've got eternal life. And if this person gets $10 more than what he's supposed to get, it's not going to end my life because I've got eternal life. Okay. It goes on, it says, for uh, we brought nothing into this world and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothes, let us be there with content. So in other words, and listen to this, if we have food and clothes, let us in that state still be possessed with unfailing strength. In other words, it says here, if you've got food and clothes, let the message, and this is my words and the way I see this contentment, in that state, you can be possessed with unfailing strength. That's how I see that. But they that will be rich, now listen to this, they that want to be rich, or they that cannot have, uh, let, me, let me rephrase verse 8. It says, and having food and clothes, let us be there with content, or, and put this way, let the contentment, or the revelation, that you are possessed by eternal strength, be of such a sort that bodily you will find satisfaction even if you just have food and clothes. That is what it is saying. It is not, well, be happy with just food and clothes. No, let the revelation of the assurance of your physical existence forever bodily because of the resurrected Jesus, be of such a sort that if you've just got food and clothes, you're happy. But they that want to be rich, in other words, they 
that are at a place where you're chasing after this riches. In other words, a place where they don't have contentment, where they are not possessed by eternal strength, but where their flesh is screaming for provision by their own works. They that want to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts drawn, uh, which drawn men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. Can you see erred from the faith? The faith is to believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. They've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So what is he saying here? He says contentment to be possessed by eternal strength, let it be of such a sort. Now, if I, let's make it very practical. If I start to stress about money, what do I do? I go and study the resurrection. If, I'm, if, if, if I start to stress about things, what do I do? God, I want to just go and just have my mind renewed. And I want to I look at the renewed mind, which is the truth of the resurrection and the assurance of my eternal existence, and I continue in that until I find, man, I've got more than I need. Where I was stressing, all of a sudden, as I look at this, I find the power of the Holy Spirit setting me free from my fears. Amen? Now, I'm going to end this off by... Uh, <clears throat> Let us, let, let, let us read 1 Timothy 6 and then Hebrews quickly. It says, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So it says, listen, you, we have received money. Tell those that are rich, you've received the money to enjoy. But don't trust in that money. For what? For life. Why? Because those things are not eternal. It doesn't have the assurance of eternal life. So when God has given you a lot of things, there will be a temptation that you trust in those things. But no, be content. Be, in other words, possessed by eternal strength. Be or stand in the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and just enjoy your money. That is all. Don't put a belief in it. That they do good, tell the, the, the rich, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. So what he's saying is, enjoy your money. Just don't, this is now to the rich, enjoy your money. Don't believe in the money. Be content. In other words, uh, uh, have your, your, be possessed by the strength of the resurrection and do good, man. Enjoy it and bless people. Bless people. That's what he says. Be ready to distribute and willing to communicate. Now listen to what it says here. And in living from this contentment and not believing in your wealth, you are laying up in store for yourselves a good foundation against a time to come that you may lay hold on eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? So what he's saying is, basically, don't put your faith in the money. That's the same for the poor. Don't put your faith 
in the money, but have contentment. Contentment means possessed of eternal strength. From here, you can enjoy your money, you can bless people. The poor, they can enjoy their clothes they have and the bread they have. Why? Because they know we're going to have eternal life. And now he says, as we live that, we will eventually lay hold of eternal life. We will have that immortality because we will not be tempted to fall away from it because we be holding this resurrection. The last verse next week, I'm going to continue with this. It says, let your conversation or your life be without covetousness, with contentment. Be content with such things as you have. For he has says, said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what men shall do unto me. So we are seeing here that he's already talking about, uh, in the context of Hebrews 13 here, persecution and people being killed. He's saying, listen, even if they take all your stuff, this is one thing you, you need to know. Be strong in the revelation that you will live forever bodily and with that contentment that is in you, you're not going to covet after things. You are focusing on the being possessed by eternal strength and from there you will find that you will boldly say, the Lord is the one that provides for me. And from there you'll have all provision. Glory to God. I trust this message has blessed you. I would like to ask you to share this with friends. Because there are many people that need to hear this. And they need to go and study the message of the resurrection. But I want you to know how the resurrection message is connected with having no fear of having no money. But because my heart is settled in, even if I don't have money, I'm assured that I will have eternal life. My children will have eternal life and all those kind of things. And from a life like that, you make much wiser decisions as pertaining to business, jobs, and all those kind of things. You're a better worker you are a better boss. Uh, life is just so much better because it's born from being possessed by eternal strength. You're not trying to preserve your own life, but you know your life is already preserved by the Creator Himself. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this message and then we will speak to one another again next week on this matter. I love you and God loves you and see you next week. God bless.